Good morning, Jubilee. We are in Paul's letter to Philemon. This morning's text will be verses 8 through 16. You are a guest with us here this morning, and you need a Bible to look in. There should be one in the pew in front of you. I invite you to join along as we are addressed by our King this morning in his word. Philemon will be found right before the book of Hebrews. Philemon, verse 8 through 16. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Let's pray one more time. Father, this is the deep comfort of my soul this morning, that you aid us by your powerful, precious Holy Spirit in the hearing of your word. It does not come from anything that I've written down. It comes by the power of your spirit. And I ask this morning that you would meet us in your word, that we would know ourselves to be addressed by God, our Father, who is our King that you would open up our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word, that your Son, our Lord, would stand forth as glorious. Would you awaken affections this morning? Father, would you do work in our hearts in ways that only you know need to be done? Father, we desperately desire for you to be glorified in the preaching of your word. As we have worshipped up into this point, may our hearts now worship over what you have spoken to us. Be exalted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Pastor John has helpfully described Paul's letter to Philemon as a master class on the operating system of the kingdom. This short but disproportionately powerful letter is a demonstration of the kingdom OS, the kingdom operating system. It lays in front of us how life is to be lived in the kingdom of God as our Father, in Jesus as our Lord, and with fellow believers as our brothers and as our sisters. 
Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14 tells us that this morning we ought to give thanks to God, our Father, because he has approved a transfer. One of anybody has had a transfer before. This is the greatest transfer of all time because here in this verse, we see that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us. He's caused us to move from one place to another. He's put us now into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, which means the forgiveness of our sins. To say that The way that we live our lives in this kingdom is different than the way that we lived our lives before we came to this kingdom is an understatement. And the rest of our lives are spent both growing in our understanding of this kingdom OS and increasingly living it out, especially in the context of our relationships. One of my favorite aspects of working at the Apple Store was leading workshops where people would come in and they would want to learn how to use their devices. Typically, these classes were filled with empty nesters whose kids brought them an iPad, brought them an iPhone, but didn't teach them how to use it. They showed up to learn how the operating system worked. And it never got old when through the expression of sheer delight, they learned how to do something simple like copy and paste. (laughs) This morning, I want to say welcome to our Kingdom OS workshop. This Kingdom Operating System workshop where our text this morning will teach us that how we are to treat one another is based on the fact that more than anything else in Christ, we are family. Our text starts off with a pointer that directs us backwards. If you look at how verse 8 starts, it starts off with the word accordingly. Accordingly is an inference that draws a conclusion from what has come before it. In verse number 8, we move into the main body of the letter where we will hear about Paul's appeal to Philemon. That appeal, though, is not a castle that's built in the sky. It stands on the firm ground of Paul's thanksgiving and prayer section in verses 4 through 7. What sets this letter apart from some other of Paul's other writing is that typically there's a section of theological assertions that's followed by lifestyle implications. If you recall our time in Ephesians, think about that for a second. In Ephesians chapter 1, 2 through 3, we saw rich theological truths that ought to have taken our breath away. In Ephesians 4 through 6, we then saw how we were to walk worthy of these glorious truths. Now, some might look at this letter to Philemon and not discern the same structure. I would beg to differ. We have rich, we have robust, lifestyle-grounding theology in Paul's Thanksgiving and prayer section. Paul's motivation to action is placed right where he normally puts it because it's important to him and it ought to be important to us that we understand and we remember the necessity of order, the imperatives of Scripture, what we should do, always are always based on the indicatives of Scripture, the theology of what God has done for us in Christ. 
How we live our day-to-day lives, especially in the context of relationships, is based on what has been done for us in Christ. It's the fight of faith to keep that order correct in our daily walk. Paul thanks God in our text, not Philemon, when he heard that the faith, his faith that was demonstrated towards Jesus and love that was extended towards the saints. Paul thanked God for that. Thanksgiving extended towards God and not Philemon is, of course, correct. It's the right direction because where faith and love is found at work, how many of y'all know God is found at work? Paul's thanksgiving ought to have reminded Philemon of this. For by grace, Philemon, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Here we see Paul laying out theology 101, as it were. Is there faith in your heart that rests in Jesus this morning, Jubilee? Are you trusting in him alone for your salvation? If that's the case, then you ought to join Paul in giving thanks to God our Father because that's his work. He has caused us to be born again. And because of that faith, this faith is expressed towards Jesus. Faith doesn't stop with Jesus, though. If it did, it wouldn't be true faith. Faith expresses itself through love. Yes, Jesus is a recipient of this love. But Jesus' saints, who are family, are also recipients of this love. Paul connects saints and family in Colossians 1 and 2, where he says, to the saints and faithful brothers, faithful sisters. This love that Paul thanked God for was love for, don't miss this, love for all the saints who were Philemon's brothers and sisters. This too rightly extends thanksgiving to God because faith that expresses itself in love towards brothers and sisters is his work too. Have you been on the other end of love expressed to another believer? Or have you heard of one believer's love extended toward another? If that's the case, you ought to give thanks to God our Father for that. Paul's thanksgiving leads to prayer, and I want you to notice how it is grounded in love. Verse number seven says, For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. In these verses, we see the theological foundation laid. God had done a work of grace in Philemon's life that was expressed by faith in Christ and expressed by love for the saints. Paul, his brother, recognized this love, that it refreshed the hearts of the saints, and accordingly, the appeal was for Philemon to do it again to his new brother. Paul could have gone in a different direction with this letter. Look at verse number 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what's required. Though that's the case... We'll go a different route. In our day of individualism and and kingly soul authority of the self, Paul's words would have probably been met with at least a raised eyebrow. 
Who does Paul think that he is to start off by saying that he could have dropped the authority card on the table and shut the whole conversation down with a power play? Paul mentioned this route because he knew who he was. As an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was commissioned by the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. There is no sphere of this created universe, emphatically including our own lives, where Jesus does not have authority. In our fallenness, though, we don't like authority unless it's our own. We've witnessed too many examples of the bad use of authority, and therefore we bristle against the power that someone in authority has over our lives. One person put it well, he said, Westerners today have beheld the, the corpse-strewn battlefield of authority's misuses and determined to dispense with authority altogether. How I many of y'all know that we actually can't do such a thing like that? That same person that I just quoted goes on to say and goes on to describe authority as better than you think and worse than you think. Authority is God's good and dangerous gift. Dangerous due to sinful human nature, but good because in the right hands it brings about flourishing. If Paul went this route, would it have been a dangerous use of authority to command Philemon, or would it have been a good use of authority? I think we see that since he could have used his authority to command Philemon to do what was required of him in light of the lordship of Christ, this would have been a good use. Even if Philemon was commanded, if he, would, if he did what was required, the church would have flourished. And this is what happens when we obey Jesus. And yet, Paul took a different approach. I can appreciate this about Paul in light of an old basketball coach that I had in high school. My coach in high school had a particular coaching philosophy that everyone was getting yelled at no matter what. It didn't matter if it actually motivated your game or deflated it. He was bent on using his authority in such a manner instead of doing the hard work of thinking about what would be the best route in this situation. As one in authority, Paul gave Philemon an example of what it looked like to lay his authority down and to go into a different direction, a different route. Here's a familiar word for us in this short letter. It's this word, love. We've seen it before. Verse number nine. Yet for love's sake, I prefer, I prefer to appeal to you, Philemon. Philemon, I, I hear of your love for the saints. I give God thanks for it. I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you on the basis of love that is an expression of your faith. Instead of a power play, I prefer to appeal to you. I simply ask you, I request from you earnestly. I'm not coming to you from the vantage point of a superior and a subordinate. I'm coming to you as a brother. Paul stripped himself down even further by describing his weakness. I, Paul, an old man. He highlights his dependence. I, Paul, not only an old man, but also now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Do you see the example that's laid out in front of Philemon as one who had authority? 
Paul is about to bring Onesimus on the stage, but first, he challenged the very assumption that the only route to take was a bold display of authority. How would Philemon, as a slave master, interact with Onesimus, the slave, when Paul, an authoritative apostle, broke down the power dynamics and came as a lowly brother? It would have been easier for Paul to display apostolic boldness, but he wasn't looking to put a Band-Aid on the situation. He desired that the healing balm of love do an even greater work that would glorify the grace of Christ Jesus. Verse number 10 tells us who this appeal is for. It's for Onesimus. Theologians approach Onesimus from many different angles. Some say that he was a runaway slave and that he did Philemon wrong by possibly stealing something from him. Others say that he and Philemon weren't on good terms, so Onesimus made his way to Paul so that Paul could be an advocate for Philemon. Others say that he was actually sent by Philemon in the Colossian church to help Paul in prison. That might make sense of verse number 13. Verse number 13 says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he may serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. What is clear to us in the text is that a status change happened to Onesimus during his time with Paul. He went from slave to brother. And more intimately, he went from slave to son. Listen to the Apostle Paul's tender words in verses 10 through 12. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Paul became a father to Onesimus in Christ Jesus through the gospel. One version says, he's like a son to me because I led him to Christ here in jail. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, and peek this out, sending you my very heart. Here we see the drama of this story ratchet itself up. Paul did not simply send back Philemon's slave. He sent a piece of himself back to Philemon, his very heart. And he appealed that Onesimus would be treated as such. Jubilee, do you see the beautiful, glorious work of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in Paul's words? The gospel declares that formerly you were one way, but now you are indeed something totally different. The gospel in this instance didn't eradicate Onesimus' slave status, but it did something exponentially more. It elevated his status from a slave to a son. In many ways, the Onesimus was, in many ways, Onesimus that was sent back was the same Onesimus. But in a fundamental way, this Onesimus who came back to Philemon was categorically a different person. What should Philemon do with this change of status, this slave who is now a son? Paul showed another example of laying his authority down and and not demanding what might have been his right as an apostle in verse number 13. Check it out. It says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might be not by compulsion, but of your own accord. 
In other words, he wanted Philemon's good work to be based on love, not by force. Oh, how this new kingdom operating system turns everything we know upside down. Paul desired to go the route of love instead of an apostolic demand. He did this because of a divine perspective. He sees the the hand of God orchestrating Onesimus' story. Look at verse number 15. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. We we understand from the le- from the letter that Onesimus was indeed parted for, for, for parted from Philemon for a while. Paul looks behind the particulars of the situation and discerns a divine purpose in the parting. It's good news to my soul this morning, Jubilee, that not only is our Father behind the particularities of our lives, but He's also fueling it with a good purpose. There is a why to what happens to us. This reminds me of a side comment that, that Shasta made to Erebus about Aslan and C.S. Lewis's The Horse and His Boy. When Shasta now, Prince Cor recounted the story about the boat that carried him to shore as a baby, he said that, of course, it was Aslan who pushed the boat ashore at the right place for him to be found. He added a parenthetical comment about Aslan saying, he seems to be, the back, he seems to be at the back of all stories. Philemon, perhaps this has happened to you, Paul is saying, that you might not simply have Onesimus back the same way that he left, but perhaps it was so that you would have him back forever as family. No longer as a bondservant or slave, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I wonder what happened in Philemon's soul when he read that that part of the letter and realized that this was not a letter between two brothers, between him and Paul, but this was in fact a letter about three brothers, him, Paul, and Onesimus. You see what Paul did here. Philemon I give thanks to God because of your faith towards Jesus Christ that works itself out in love towards the saints who are your brothers. I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I'm sending Onesimus back to you as my very heart and as your beloved brother. Refresh my heart again by showing him the same love that you show towards me in the other brothers because Onesimus is more than a slave to you now. He is your brother. Many wonder why Paul didn't just straight outright condemn slavery in this letter. Why didn't he demand that Philemon just straight up set Onesimus free? Why didn't Paul fight the power of pervasive slavery and bring it to his knees and destroy the system? Regardless of why Paul didn't go this route, we see that he actually did the harder thing. He leveled the playing field between slave master and slave. He applied the gospel that both elevates and that also demotes. The gospel elevated Onesimus from a slave to a brother. And then the gospel demoted Philemon from a slave master to a brother, even the brother of a slave. 
This would have had tremendous gospel implications in Philemon's, Philemon's community. Because of Philemon's and Onesimus' encounter with the grace of Christ, there was a radical, radical reorientation of relationship and responsibility towards one another. Whether or not Philemon set Onesimus free or not, it is clear that their relationship could no longer remain the same now that they were brothers. Family changed everything. Like how one person put it, he said, in requesting that Philemon receive Onesimus back as a beloved brother, Paul altered the social system by which characters related to each other. He gutted it from the inside out by saying, no, this is not a slave master and slave relationship. This is now a brother and a brother relationship. And treat one another now accordingly. What a death blow to the system of slavery when it turns upside down the relationship between slave master and slave. Paul did something even harder. This is how the operating system in the kingdom works. It inserts the code of family language into it and says that as recipients of grace in the kingdom of our Father where Jesus is Lord, how we treat one another is based on the fundamental fact that more than anything else in Christ we are family. That's how we treat one another. We're to treat one another as beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. And that means at least two things for us to consider. One, how we treat one another is not based on social status, but based on family status. Right? It's not based on social status, it's based on family status. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male or female for all or one in Christ Jesus. This, of course, doesn't eradicate social roles. This is a reminder that we don't treat one another through the primary lens of those social roles. Fundamentally, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and how we relate to one another is not based on where you reside on the social ladder poor or rich, in a position of authority or not, influential or lowly, it doesn't factor how we treat one another. All of those roles bow its knee to the fact that because of grace and because of being recipients of the Lord Jesus Christ's mighty work on the cross, together we are beloved children of God. The kingdom operating system is that we love because he first loved us. And whoever loves God must also love his brother. Must also love his sister, her sister, regardless of where they are on the social ladder. That stuff no longer is determinative. Family is determinative. The second thing that we are confronted here with our texts. How we treat one another is not based on the action of the other person, but based on the action of Christ. To whatever degree that Onesimus wronged Philemon, we'll see next week that Paul put himself forward as an example and a reminder of what Christ has done with our debts. He says, if 
Paul says, if, if, he, if, if, if he has wronged you, Philemon, if Onesimus has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I will repay it like Christ has done for us. Refresh my heart by embracing him as a forgiven brother. What does this mean at the ground level? So often we are tempted to treat one another based on how we have been treated by that other person. You don't got to say amen to that. You know it's true. Tempted to treat one another as we have been treated by the other person. If they come at you with hurt, we're tempted to treat them with hurt. If they said something damaging to you, you're tempted, we're tempted to treat them in that particular way. So often, my soul needs to be reminded of the fact that my relationship with other brothers and sisters are not based off of what they've done to me, but based off of what Christ has done for me. So kindness extended to my brother is not dependent on him being kind to me. It's because I've been a recipient of kindness. Love extended to my sister is not because she's shown herself worthy of it. It's because I am a lavish recipient of love. Family interactions towards one another is based off of the fact that me and my brother and me and my sisters are both recipients of Christ's grace. And therefore, my relationship to them and my actions toward them it's not based on what they've done. It's based on what's been done for us. Based on the fact that Christ has taken our debts and we relate to one another as brothers and sisters. So in our text this morning, once again, see how the kingdom of God, this operating system, works. Paul put in front of Philemon a challenge to be reminded that now this brother that stands in front of him, who was formerly useless, is now quite useful. This one that stands in front of him is now one that is no longer a slave, more than a slave. He is a beloved brother. And it's a reminder to us that how we treat one another is based on the fact that more than anything else, we are May God grant us much grace in remembering that, particularly when it's difficult to do so. Let's pray. Father, there is no way to wrap our minds around the work of Christ that takes a heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh, that, that calls out of darkness into marvelous light. The work of Christ that transfers us from one kingdom, one domain of darkness into the kingdom of your son. Father, how our minds need to be renewed of how we ought to operate in this kingdom now. The operating system of this kingdom is that of love towards one another based off of what Christ has done for us. I pray that you will work this into the corners of our soul. Where there's difficulty in relationships between brothers and sisters, I pray that you, will that you will remind hearts, Father, what you have done for us in Christ and that we are interacting with a brother 
and we're interacting with the sister. Be exalted, Father, in the love that we show towards one another. And thank you again for the perfect work of your son. Will we boast in Christ as we prepare to take the Lord's table. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.